Talk with Ben Tompkins. Hi, what's good? How's everybody doing? This is Real Talk. I'm your boy, Ben Tompkins. We are presented by Nobody Currently. These are the mixtape days. That's how we like it. We're grinding, and one day we're going to get to where we're trying to go. So, welcome to Uber Stories Part 29. To my day ones, was good? Good to have you back. And to my new listeners, then welcome, my friends. I'm doing a lot of things recently to try and get you here. So if you're here, it's working. Hey, there we go. How about that? And so we have uh, a lot of stories that we're going to get to today. And this is just a disclaimer, okay? This is a disclaimer because this week's episode is heavy. I'm not going to lie. This week's episode is heavy. There's no way around it. And honestly, I even procrastinated a little bit knowing how difficult it was going to be to write up some of these episodes. Usually, what I'll do is I'll get the five best stories from the previous week, and that's an episode. That's an Uber Stories episode. So on the last one of every episode, I'll try to end on an uplifting note or something with a positive message or a feel-good story, something that people can take inspiration from. I really like that. I end on a positive note. It's something I like to do around here, okay? But this one kind of has a positive note, but honestly, the five stories on today's episode are, it was just a dark week. Like, I'm, I'm not going to lie about it, okay? So, stories on this week's episode include Cautionary Tale, A Stripper Shares the Biggest Regret of Her Life, Amber Alert, This sentence alone should tell you everything you need to know about this story. Kidnapped at 13, married at 14, pregnant at 15. It doesn't get heavier than that. That's a story of a survivor. That's Amber Alert. The next story, Clucker, this is just took over the craziest story of uh, all time since I've been doing this. Just got a new number one on the Holy Fuck Power Rankings. Clucker. A man and a woman high off their asses gets in and confusion ensues. It was... Honestly, I don't get scared very often. I don't get frightened. I don't have adrenaline that that gets going and uh, my guard that goes up. But honestly, I'm going to be honest. I was a little bit low-key frightened on this trip. I was a little bit scared. I'm man enough to admit it. It's okay. It's all right. I can say it. Yeah, I was a little bit scared. Not of anything. I, 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 just the unknown. Just anxious. Okay, maybe is a better way to put it. But like, yeah, I was, I was a little bit low key spooked out. All right, we'll get to that. Um, the next story on today's episode: trans in Kentucky. A writer shares her experience with coming out as a black transgender woman in Kentucky. Um, Not necessarily a sad story, but just again, we're just talking about like heavy stuff, right? What's your experience like being a black trans woman in Kentucky? And then Stay Up is our last story of the episode. And this is a story about a writer mourning the murder of her husband, struggling to cope with her existence beyond the 18 years that they spent together. So there is literally not a single story on this week's episode that would count as funny or uplifting or feel good. These are all like heavy ass stories. And it was tough to write these out. I'm not going to lie. It was it was a little bit tough. 
it was a little bit tough. And you know, the thing that I struggle with is, whereas like on other episodes in in other stories, I know what to say, and I feel like I have something that can speak to everybody when we start going through their story, and I feel like I'm really, really good at connecting with somebody. And even if it's not, like let's say I can't relate to a mom with five kids or somebody who's telling me about being homeless. Like I haven't lived those experiences, so I can't necessarily connect to those things. But what I can connect to and what I can speak to and what I try to do is talk about or get them to talk about the underlying feelings or reasons or emotions underneath what's going on, right? So I might not be able to identify with homelessness, but what led to that person becoming homeless, those feelings, I can speak to that. We can bond over that. And also, uh, there's, that's, maybe that's a poor example, but like my point is I'm usually able to connect with somebody in some way. But this week, there was one woman who just straight up stumped me. I had no idea what to say. And this week was really a week of growth for me in that there were many times this week where I didn't know what to say to my writers. And I didn't try to. I didn't try to have all the answers this week. I was encouraging, but I didn't give a whole lot of advice this week. I mainly just sat and listened and asked questions and gave people a safe space to let their guard down and talk it out. And sometimes that's enough. You know, I, I got to remember that. My girlfriend was telling me this and I'm like, you know, I really feel bad because I take it upon myself and I take it personally sometimes when I'm not able to make somebody feel better. Like, I really do. And when I can't take someone's pain away, I take that personally because I'm like, damn, I feel like I failed them. So <laughs> when I feel like I haven't fixed somebody's life in the 15 minutes that we spend together, I'm like, fuck, like, I failed this person, you know? And I take that on and I, 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 I literally absorb that energy. But I was reminded rightfully so, by one of the wisest people that I know, Maddie Miyahara, who said, you know, it's not your job to do that. I mean, it's awesome that you want that for them and that you're able to be that for them, but sometimes also, like, you're not going to have the answers and people don't need those. They're not coming to you because they need that. You know, sometimes all people need is a safe space to open up and somebody to listen to them. And that's what I tried to do this week as the week went on because it was just, it was tough. It was a tough week. So these stories are definitely heavy. Next week is going to be Kentucky Derby Uber stories. So this week is already like, this week is already nuts and we're already just getting going. I mean, we're barely just getting going and we're going to have some awesome stories to report next weekend, Uber Stories, Kentucky Derby edition, and then we'll have Uber Stories part 30 after that, and then I'll be down in Nashville, and we're going to have Uber Stories Nashville. So we got a lot of things going this month. May is uh, kick-starting off with a bang, and it's literally not going to stop for 31 days. So let me go ahead and run through um, my very, very quick introduction. I swear this will not take long at all. I swear to God. I, guys, I'm getting better and better and better. And you know what? You're like, okay, yeah, you said that last week. You said that three weeks ago. 
just tie me. Just, 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 just tie me, okay? And see where we're at. And I promise you, I'm going to keep it, this part of it, under three minutes right here. No tangents, no side stories, no ADHD bullshit. I'm getting in and I'm getting out. So to my new listeners, first and foremost, if foul language offends you, this is not going to be the podcast for you. And that's okay. I'm not for everybody. I don't want to be for everybody. That's okay with me, okay? So if foul language offends you, go ahead, turn it off. Thanks for coming, and uh, we'll see you next year. Okay, who, what, when, where, and why? Who I am? My name is Ben Tompkins. What is this? This is a podcast about all of the people that I meet driving for Uber. It is basically Taxi Cab Confessions meets Dr. Phil. That's what I do. I ride around all day. I give a lot of free therapy out. I, I also provide a, a space for people to... Um, just feel comfortable sharing with me, and that's one of my biggest skills, and so I've combined all of the things that I'm best at into this business concept that I'm trying to grow and eventually do either different seasons or different cities, so like Uber Stories Miami, Uber Stories Las Vegas, Uber Stories Bay Area, or I could also see this being something where um, somebody wants to stick me in Los Angeles year-round, which I would not be mad at, and it would be like a YouTube thing. I need to get on YouTube, but the thing is, if I'm wearing a mask and my sunglasses, you can't even see my beautiful face anyways, and it's kind of a waste of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a waste of the hassle right now. So we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but for now, the podcast episodes come out every Wednesday. On Fridays, I'll drop interviews if I have an interview. It's kind of like bonus at the end of the week, okay? It's like sprinkles, okay? They're really, really good, um, but I don't have an interview lined up every single week. So check out all of the other episodes. If you're brand new to this, then the way to go about this is to start here and then go back to last week because if you go back to like Uber Stories Part 2 and Part 3 and I don't know, maybe, but... It kind of be like me binge-watching Survivor. What this show is now is a lot different than what this show was when we first started. I had no plan. I had no idea what I was going to do. I just started driving for Uber full-time and chasing what I thought was the market speaking to me, transitioning from hosting a sports radio show solo to then starting to drive for Uber and having people call and text into the show after I had created a segment on the show called Uber Stories in which I would tell stories and conversations I was having with my writers. People started to call and text into the sports show and interrupt my basketball segments, which were amazing, by the way, and say, hey, man, we don't give a fuck about your boring basketball takes, but give us more of the Uber stories because we can't get that anywhere else. So I'm like, well, fuck me. All right, I guess we're not doing sports anymore. This is literally the market telling me what they want. I need to listen to that or I'd be dumb. So quarantine, wait it out, start doing this, and it's going really well. And at this point, I have created an LLC, Godfather Media, and I am starting to execute month by month on my long-term vision for the show, which ultimately would be different seasons in different cities. So a couple weekends ago, um, I spent 10 days in Atlanta doing Uber Stories Atlanta. Got to meet Noah Forty Shabib. That episode is a banger. Went to Magic City on a Monday. Had a lot of fun. Um, in a couple weeks, just like I mentioned, I will be down in Nashville. I'm looking at lining up other cities this spring and summer. So probably looking at places like Chicago, Indianapolis, um, Cleveland, Columbus, like I'm just starting to kind of expand here regionally, grow where I'm planted, and continue building this concept so that, um, and this blueprint so that when I'm finally ready to 
sell it to somebody, a iHeart Media or a Spotify, just like Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu buy up all these little shows and there's like this war for original content. The same thing exists in podcasts and in, in podcast media. So I just got to have a product that they want. And slowly but surely, my day ones can attest to this, I've been building something that is becoming more desirable and we're really just scratching the surface. So if you're getting in now, you're really getting in at a good time. There's going to be a very big investment on your time that you give to me every week because honestly, you're going to get to watch this grow and it's like being in at the ground floor of a building that's going to become a skyscraper and we're just like pouring the cement right now you know wearing hard hats and having our lunch pail in our hand and going to work every fucking day and that's that's what it is so from the feet up baby um follow me on twitter and tiktok and instagram at benny tomp 18 i'm low-key blowing up on tiktok now tiktok people was good i fuck with you uh facebook and instagram at real talk w benny t Please, I have these two segments that are submission-based. So just like all the stories, I forgot to mention this, all the stories that I tell on this podcast are anonymous, as are the submissions to these two segments. The Doctor is In, this is a life advice segment, and I want to hear your Uber stories. I'm sure you got a ton of crazy Uber stories, funny Uber stories, whatever, weird Uber stories. Um, Send those to me, Real Talk. WBennyT at gmail.com. Again, that is RealTalkWBennyT at gmail.com. Send your stuff in. I'd be happy to get you some life advice. Speak to whatever you want to uh, put into a paragraph. Send it to me. And then, uh, yeah, your Uber stories. All the music that I use on this show and when I'm with my writers is available on Apple Music and Spotify. You can go there and check out all the playlists that I built. They're sick. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast. Take two seconds out of your day and do it. It would really help me. You guys want to know, hey, how can we help? I'm looking down at uh, the poured concrete metaphor, and I'm like, guys, you know how you can help me start to erect some uh, beams in this bitch? Leave me a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, and if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can still help me out by doing it on the Facebook page for the show, at Real Talk W Benny T. My Louisville people, go down to UofL's campus, go see my man Tyler Pope, Fades on 4th, Fades with a Z, at Fades on 4th, 502, and uh, tell him Benny T sent you, and Pope's going to get you right, man. He's the godfather of the fade. If you use my name, Benny T, he's going to give you the supreme service. It's valued at $60. He's going to give it to you for $35. And you can check his availability using the Booksy app. Also, if you're in the market to buy a brand new pen, a beautiful handmade pen sourced from woods from all over the world, go check out my buddy Ryan Jones and his company, Roots and Jones. You can see... All the work that him and his grandpa do, they um, started this business together and they handcraft these wooden pens and they're just beautiful, man. They're literally, every single one is a work of art. I have one, it's gorgeous and it just, you feel like a baller when you have this thing in your hand. It's just like, 
I did I just become like million dollar deal signer with this thing in my hand? Yeah, I think so. And it's actually just like a number I'm writing down because somebody called me. But you know what? It's fun to pretend. And when you have that pen in your hand, the imagination is limitless. Um, their thing is we all have a story to tell. So let them help you tell yours. Okay. That's it, guys. See? I, hey, 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 hey. 16 minutes. Okay. The kid, he's doing pretty good. All right. I have a lot of stories to get to, and I have uh, a lot of uh, thoughts on these stories here. So I hope you'll enjoy this. I hope you'll continue to come back and ride with me. And without further ado, here is Uber Stories Part 29. Cautionary Tale. I've been doing this for about 10 or 11 months now, and for the very first time, one of the first times, but but really, I, I, I'm usually pretty good. I'm quick on my feet. I'm usually pretty good at telling people and speaking to what they're dealing with because in some way, I can relate. I might not be able to relate specifically to what they're telling me, but the feelings that are kind of the underlying factors of that situation, whether it's pain or loss or suffering or name it, then most people can relate to those feelings in some way, right? But there's going to be certain situations where I feel bad because I just, I can't relate at all. And I feel bad in that I wish that there was something more that I could say or more that I could be or give to these people when they tell me something like that. And I I just, I have nothing. Um, I, I, I try, I fumble over my words a little bit because I'm trying to give them something that's going to hopefully make them feel better. But I know that there's some things that just, there's just no coming back from it. And there's nothing that I could say to make them feel better. And just like sometimes somebody hurts you and there's nothing that they could say to make it right or to have you be any less hurt, right? There's just, sometimes there's just nothing that can be said. And sometimes even an attempt to try and say it almost does it, it just does, it just, it just misses the mark. It just misses the mark so bad because you just, what can you say? What can you say, you know? There's some moments that are like that. There's some situations that are like that. There's some stories that I get told and I'm like, wow, I'm just, I feel for you, you know? Please keep going. Don't give up. Those are the things that I say. Instead of having some kind of a a good piece of advice that I give to somebody, I sometimes I'm confronted with stories that I'm told with that, and and I just, there's nothing that I could, po- and, and when you get people who are, like have toxic positivity and you know it's like I've, I've talked about this before when let's say a mom or a dad of seven kids who's struggling to pay the mortgage is talking to me about their life and their situations and I know for a fact that based on what this person has shared with me they're probably never ever going to get ahead in life there are some people that are just resigned to that fact that no matter what i do short of hitting the lottery and even that uh doesn't fix everybody's problems like they think that hitting the lottery was going to do but like even even coming into a, a huge lump sum of money it's not going to erase the problems that got this person 
or or just like not problems, not to say that people have problems like that, but just it, it's 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 not going to change the decisions that they made, okay? And if they blow that money, then they're going to be the same person with the same problems, likely worse because now they've got money involved and now there's, you know what I mean? And so like when when somebody's telling me this kind of stuff, I feel that it's fake as fuck to sit there and be like, well, if you can dream it, you can do it. And anything is possible if you set your mind to it. And all, like little things like that, that if you tell somebody when they're 10 years old, they believe it, right? Because they're naive enough to believe it, A, and B, they still have time. Like it still is possible for them. But if you're 45 years old and you have that many dependents and you don't have a great job like I, and you're telling me man my life just sucks i at that point i just try to get people to focus on their kids and remind them of the reasons that they're still here that they haven't given up okay and i think i'd be doing a disservice to these people who were in situations similar to that by telling them hey it gets better and you just got to bootstrap it and and just like I don't know man just there's just certain things that people say that people think that they're helping and you know it's like you talk to I don't know like a Joyce Meyer okay and you tell her your problems and then she's like well if you just pray to God anything can happen it's like what the fuck do I do with that like First of all, I've been praying, okay? And second of all, what is a prayer going to get me? I need advice. I need you to give me something, like like speak to my situation. I need something from you. And they're like, yeah, just pray about it. And it's like, ugh. Like I'm left with a disgusted feeling because it's like I there's you you can't possibly give me anything and and sometimes we can't give like so it, it's just all of these things combine for this feeling that I have when sometimes I'm not able to give some and and instead of being the fake fucking oh if you just pray it could change your life or if you just do this then your problems will go away and you can if you work hard and you go to work and you bust your ass then yeah you can get from this side of town to the other side of town and it's just like you know what sometimes that's not in the cards for people it's just not and no judgment but that's real talk that's just Sometimes people know, and when you get somebody that's like trying to be that, like, hey, you know, it, it can happen, that person's like, all right, well, thanks a lot, dude, but, you know, my fucking stars aren't going to align that way, and you trying to sit here and act like they are is just like, like you're, it's almost like you're patronizing the person, or, or like, not really condescending, but like, you're, 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 I don't know, it, it just, it feels disgusting to me, and I'll never, ever do it. Okay, I'll never ever do it. But usually, I'm pretty good at being able to get somebody to focus on their whys and kind of redefine those, even if they haven't said them out loud in a while. Like I, I'll straight up ask somebody, like, "Why are you still here?" Because the answer that they give me is then something that I'm going to latch onto, right? And when I get people to really put into words the reasons that they continue going to that job that they don't like on third shift or 
paying alimony or doing whatever they have to do in order for their kids to hopefully have better opportunities than they had or do better with the opportunities that they might have had, then I'll do that. Or I'll get somebody to focus on, hey, just keep going, just keep pushing, you're not alone, and just get somebody to focus on that stuff because anything else, I just feel like it's disingenuous and I'm not with that fake shit. So I'm not going to tell somebody that, hey, your life could change tomorrow because it probably won't. It might not. And that's just reality. That's life, okay? So um, when I'm not able to give somebody that, it, it, it feels kind of, I feel bad. I feel like, fuck, man, like, did I just let this person down? And that's a pressure that I put on myself. I know that none of these, see, this is the thing, is like none of these people that get in the car are expecting anything from me other than a safe ride. And if they look at my reviews, maybe a pleasant conversation. They aren't expecting me to solve all of their problems, but because I'm such an empath, I can't help it, okay? I, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to not fix everybody, but just make people feel better. And when I can't reach somebody and there's, I feel like nothing that I could possibly say to make somebody instantly feel better and take their pain away, then I feel like I've failed. And that sucks. And I hate that fucking feeling. And it's just something that I'm going to have to let go. This is a way longer intro to the story, but this, this is like how deep it goes for me. Okay. So long story short, this writer stumped me. They stumped me and they left me feeling with this feeling of, fuck, I wish I could have given this woman more. I wish I had something to give her more. So let's just call the guy who ordered this ride Ramon. The app says Ramon. I'm looking for a Ramon, but when I pull up, Ramon has texted me to say, hey, we're going to be adding a stop to this trip. Can you help me with that? I'm like, sure. So I pull up to this address, which happens to be a strip club. And I don't see any Ramones outside, but I do see a Roxanne, and she's walking up to the car. And we go through basically this really, really long, I had written all this stuff out, and it it was like, you know what, this isn't really central to the story. So again, I'm going to suffice to say, long story short, she got in, we were going 31 minutes one way and then needed to come 31 minutes back. This guy didn't have the Uber app. He had ordered the ride for Roxanne. And so Ramon's sitting at home and he's doing all this stuff from a computer. He's trying to update the address. It's not working. I'm trying to do it on my end. It's not working. And we we were like, okay, well, let's just figure it out once we get there. Well, we get there and he's still trying to fumble with it through the computer, which I have never ordered an Uber through the computer. I didn't even know that you could do that. So I'm like, how do you have the app, but you don't have a fucking iPhone? Like, anyways, um, we pull up and it's like, hey, what do we do? Um, you know, can you, why don't you just, because it, it wouldn't let either of us add a stop. So I'm like, if I end this ride, I can go offline So I won't get any more requests, but this trip will be done and then you'll be stuck here 31 minutes away from where you're at. And she's like, well, all right, well, what do we do? And I'm like, all right, well, call him back. Let's get him on the phone. Let me talk to him. So this guy's trying to figure it out on his computer. It's not letting it work for either of us. 
um, I say, all right, well, let me keep trying and you keep trying and we hang up, we get off the phone. I'm thinking maybe it's just this address for whatever reason, like because sometimes people prepay with like a um, like a, a a gift card or you know some people don't have bank accounts so they use these prepaid cards and then they link those up to their Uber accounts so Uber won't let you take a ride longer than what's on your card, right? Like it's not going to let you like overdraft basically, which makes sense. So I'm thinking, okay, well maybe. I don't know if it's an issue that I'm having with the app or it's just this location. Maybe this guy's account doesn't have the money for it or whatever. So I try and update to just 4th Street just to see if it'll work. Well, lo and behold, it does. Now the trip is saying 4th Street. And I'm like, okay, well, cool. So I can update the addresses. But I have one bar and I'm trying to update the address to where we actually need to go and it's not working. And I'm like, fuck, like this is a worst case scenario. Well, the guy cancels the ride, just cancels it. And as Roxanne and I are sitting there trying to figure this thing out, she hasn't gone in the house yet. I'm like, oh, okay, he just canceled. So at this point, I'm offline and we need to figure out a way that you can get home safely. So we call this guy back. He was saying, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I didn't know. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cancel it. And we basically get it all figured out where he sends me money. He doesn't have Venmo, of course, but he has Apple Pay. I've never used Apple Pay. So now I got to fill out my bank account stuff on Apple Pay. And long story short, he ends up sending me money for, I just looked up, hey, what did this previous ride cost? Okay, now here's what it'll cost to get back. I'll give you the same thing. And hey, by the way, it was like 2740 something to get here. Um, so that's what you'll, you want to pay me. Well, let's call it 28 bucks. And that's without tip, you know? So if you want a tip, great. I'd appreciate it. But if not, no worries. I'm going to get her back safely no matter what. So he ends up sending me $35 on Apple Pay, which was cool. And I'm like, okay, I, I've got this figured out. In the meantime, she's been inside. I, I let her go ahead and run inside while we were waiting on what you know we were doing. I'm like, go ahead and run in. I got this. She runs in. She's out in like two minutes. And I wasn't born yesterday. I know what I know what's going on. Like, I know when I know. Okay, so we a thousand percent just went and picked up drugs and now I'm taking her back to the strip club where she works. No judgment, no judgment at all. But I'm like, man, it's not a great feeling to know that you are an unassuming drug mule and it's just a Tuesday afternoon. You know what I mean? Like, that's not great. It's like, damn, why did you choose... I mean, I know why they did it. They needed a ride, but it's like, well, shit. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't see it. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. I don't know shit. If we get stopped, <laughs> I'll know you. Like, you know, because it's really, let's, it's like, damn, like you're putting, you know, I guess me at risk. I don't, I don't really know if I would be at risk for that, but, but just like, ah, uh, man, that's just, that's, yeah, that that that's not cool. That's not cool. So, um, yeah. Anyways, 
she comes back out and uh, I'm like, yeah, we got it all figured out. So we take off. Well, now at this point, you know, we really hadn't spoken that much the first 31 minutes of the ride. And it was just one of those days where it felt more like work. So I was just listening to the herd and outside of, um, you know, the first couple little things that we said to each other, I could just tell that she was a little bit more closed off, a little bit more reserved. Didn't really seem like she was down to spill her life story or, or really carry a conversation. So I'm like, cool. Like, that's cool, too. I don't force it when I can tell that somebody just is wanting to relax and just not talk and that's okay. That's totally, I don't take, I don't, I don't take offense to that. You know, like it's like, Hey, it's your ride, man. You do whatever you want with it. Right. But at this point we have all of us, Roxanne, Ramon, and myself have worked together to get to this point and figure out the solution of how to get her back. So because of this, we've been talking a little bit more and now we are talking and now we're having a conversation and she was like telling me how upset she was when she thought that he had canceled this ride because she was like, I feel like he did that on purpose. I said, what, canceled it? Yeah, I'm almost 100% certain, she said. Well, why do you say that? Well, I'm a stripper and he's one of my clients and I won't meet him outside. And this is the first time I've ever asked him to do anything for me. So I feel like just with some comments, he knows I have a boyfriend and stuff. He's like, well, why isn't he open you? I'm like, well, he's not here to help me. He's at work. That's why I'm calling you to help me. Because <laughs> you're a simp. I said. And she started laughing. She said, pretty much. I was like, pay for my shit. Wow, that is funny. She said, never a dull moment. I don't know if it's keeping me young or making me old. How old are you? 35. How long have you been dancing? 14 years. Wow. Is that your main source of income? Yep. How do you do during a typical year? Oh, I have no idea. So the club that I work at, they claim us so we don't have to pay taxes. And like, okay, so I average about 300 a day and I work six days a week. Okay. <laughs> you know, quick math. For those of you who don't have a calculator, 1800 bucks a week, doing pretty good, okay? Um, I said, so I was just down in Atlanta, and we went to Magic City on a Monday, and it was pretty fun. And she said, what was it like? And I said, man. And I told her the story about meeting 40 and everything, and if you want to hear that story about me meeting Noah 40 Shabib, Drake's longtime producer and the co-founder of the OVO Sound Label, including him buying us shots and including me believing why the universe is telling me you're on the right path. Go back and listen to Uber Stories Atlanta, okay? So, I tell her that story and then she gives me a story of her own, which is the entire reason for any of the story. This this was just like the story within the story. This is like the context of like, hey, I spent like an hour and a half start to finish with Roxanne and it was a struggle once we pulled up to the trap house to get Ramon on the phone and he's doing stuff on a computer and it was just like, holy shit. Okay, so finally we get to the whole reason for the story is the story that she tells me right here. She says, all right, well, I have like kind of a fame story. Do you want to hear it? And I was like, yeah, what is it? Well, she says, about four years into me dancing, the Ying Yang twins went to Trixie's for a show and they came to the club that I was working at before to party. 
and one of them, I can't remember their names, but the one with the goatee, he approached me, and the other one approached my bartender, and they asked if we wanted to roll with them to Trixie's. Well, I was all about it, but the bartender, she listened to country music, and she didn't know nothing about no yin-yang twins, and I'm the type of person that I'm not going to go alone. I just couldn't enjoy myself if I was having to worry about all that, so it's like 30 minutes later, and they leave, and she comes out of the bathroom, and I guess she Googled them while she was in there or something, because she comes running out screaming, go wave them down, go wave them down, I'm ready to go, no. (laughs) So yeah, that's my famous story, but uh, my favorite artist, my favorite artist is Starlito and Don Tripp. Have you heard of them? Starlito, yeah, I have, yeah. Every time he comes to Louisville, I get the VIP meet and greet. He's like my hero. Really? How come? Uh, I can relate a lot with him. I dabbled in rap for about 10 years. Really? Yeah. The last time I did anything was four years ago. I opened up for Lil John. Really? Yeah. But I haven't done anything in a while, though. But those guys, Starlito and uh, Don Tripp, those are like my role models. I just like them. I love how they do their music. I like how they're not signed to any labels. They've done everything by themselves. They've saved their money, and they've become millionaires all on their own. How come you stop writing and rapping? Well, I still write every night. I just don't really record or anything. I feel like I'm too old, so... And if you look at female rappers, most of their careers end before they're 30 because a newer, improved version comes out. I said, Nikki and Cardi. Yeah. And if you look back, even in the 90s, between 28 and I think like 32, that's like the expiration date for female rappers. That's so sad, I said. And she says, and I'm going to be 35, so I feel like it's fun to play with. I write every night. We got a little studio set up in the apartment, me and my boyfriend, because he's fucking good. Yeah? He's so good. But I'm just not interested in that part because I know I'm not going to go anywhere with it. Back when I was, I think I was about 22 or 23, a friend of mine had a record label here in Louisville called Murderville Records, and I was the first girl they signed, and his cousin had some kind of connections to Columbia Records up in Cincinnati. So I started working with them, started doing music. I even modeled some of their clothes and shit like that. And I went up there to meet his cousin, and they were interested in what I had. But I was with my ex-husband, and throughout that transition I was trying to make, he was very jealous and insecure and thought I was being a whore. So I turned down a $900,000 contract and entry into their underground, like, they had this underground, I forgot what it was called, but basically they picked five or six underground artists and they basically built them up where they needed to be. You go into the booth and you would spit your shit and they would tell you what you need to work on. So at the end of two years, you should be 10 times better and ready for features with celebrities, you were good enough for that, you knew how to handle being in public and not be shy about it, like, they pretty much turned you into a performer, and at the end of your two years, you got that 900000 and a record deal for three years, where they continued to work with you, and I had to not do that, 
Is that the biggest regret of your life? Oh, yeah. Biggest one. Biggest one for sure. How long did you and him stay together after that? Well, we had five kids. And we were together for about six years after that. And then I tried to get back into it. But yeah, that's been my biggest regret. And I think about it all the time. Like, what if I had told him to go fuck himself? I wouldn't have had kids. You know? My life would be completely different. But it happened for a reason. There's a reason I wasn't supposed to do that. And this is where I want to stop and pause and and bring up what I said at the intro because this is like one of those places where I will get somebody to focus in on their whys and, and kind of talk about those things almost to bring them and force them to the front of their subconscious and be like, oh yeah, I still have other things that give me fulfillment outside of this thing that I'm talking about that maybe didn't work out in my favor or the way that I wanted it to. You know what I mean? So, um, I, I, you know, whatever it is, being a great parent or being a great family member or um, employee or team member or whatever. So, I'm just like, well, do you feel that you found fulfillment in being a mother and some of the other life choices you've made since then? Oh, hell no. No? I don't have any of my kids. I went to prison. Then I got out and my kids didn't even know me. And the people that got them to adopt them... I signed my rights over so that all five of my kids could remain a family and then I got on drugs and I'm a stripper. That's how my life turned out. It's been good though. It's not been bad, but I look back at where I am now and I should have made a lot better decisions than what I did. And when I think about it, in the moment of doing them, I knew I was doing wrong, but I did it anyway because I felt sorry for myself. heavy. Okay, so this is now where I say, okay, well, nothing that I could possibly offer to her is, I I just, what do I say? Okay, so then that's where I'll flip it. Okay, so I'm always looking for a silver lining. So it might not be something that can speak to her, but I'll take her and use her as a vehicle for other people. Okay, so I ask her, what advice would you give to someone that's faced with the same decision, right? Because even even if, you know, we can't figure her thing out in a hour-long car ride, maybe I can get from her um, something that might help somebody else out, right? And so she says probably that you got to think about your consequences. You can do things in the moment that feel good and stuff, but even good things that you do come with consequences and you better be ready for all of them. That's real talk. She got out of the car. Off that fucking mic drop like a champ, okay? And I just... Uh, I For the first time, like there was really... I didn't know what to say to her. I just... I turned around and said, nice talking to you and she went on her merry way and I, I went about mine and... You know, that's just one of those things where it's like, okay, well, I, I I can I can turn this around and then I can use her story as a cautionary tale. Learn from this woman, okay? And I think that's why she was sharing all of that is because she also had alluded to the fact that she likes inspiring people and talking about this kind of stuff. 
And she's basically sharing this story as to say, hey, don't end up like I did. Like, it's too late for me, which is fucking heartbreaking that at 35 years old, this woman believes that she's too far gone. And maybe for the rap thing, she is. But that doesn't mean that you have to necessarily just resign yourself to the fact that things are never going to get better. Things can get better. They'll look better in a different, they'll get better in a different way. Your life will look different than what you might have expected or hoped that it would look like when you get to this point, right? But that doesn't mean that all is lost. Not all is lost, okay? And I just, that's a heartbreaking thing because she's like, yep, then I got on drugs and I'm a stripper. And we literally just picked her up drugs. So I'm dropping her back off at the strip club and she's probably going to get high and do whatever she does. And it's just like, that's her reality. That's her life. Um, that's, uh, <laughs> that's tough. Um, but it, it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm searching for the words to, I don't know. Um, I do have one closing thought on, uh, the guy that she was with, I guess. And, and, and so, yeah, let me wrap this up. This is like the, the, the whole point of the story in, um, don't pass up your shot. You know, it's like I I can relate to this woman because I watched my mom kind of go through a very similar thing, not in the circumstances, but basically when she was trying to make a move into the corporate world and she was actually working on these political campaigns. I don't know if anybody out there listening remembers the smoke-free Louisville campaign. Um, it was, I think that was around 2004, 2005. And this was like a really influential thing that led to a lot of change in Louisville in terms of the smoking ban and where you could smoke cigarettes. And like, um, I, I, there was a lot of things that I was too young to understand. But basically, my mom was working as a political organizer and she was really one of the people that were responsible for the grassroots movement that started the entire smoke-free Louisville campaign, which led to some big sweeping changes. So it was really awesome. And she was at that point considering this path that she could take in public policy or public campaigning or potentially even like local small community politics, right? Government. And my dad totally killed that dream. He totally said, no, that's not how we're going to do it. You need to stay here. You're the wife. You're the mom. You need to make sure that the kids are fed and raised and off to school and to practice. And I'm the male. I'm the breadwinner. I've got the sales job. And I watched my mom um, not go after that and chase that. And, and she was made to feel like she wasn't good enough. Hey, don't do that. Like, that's not you. You can't do that. Do you really want all these people to know about your life? Do you really want all this stuff? And it's just like, that is the definition of needle dick energy. Please don't outshine me. My wife, I couldn't take it. My fragile male ego. It's like, wow, you are a piece of shit for that. Like the guy that this girl Roxanne was with that's literally getting jealous and insecure and calling her a whore and like slut shaming her for something. It's like, don't be mad at me. Like I've got this opportunity and I guarantee if I ever hit it big, I'd see your trifling ass coming around to leech and look for a payout and a handout. So, but it's just funny. Like this guy is telling her, no, 
don't do this. And it's the biggest thing that could have ever possibly happened to her, right? Potentially. It's the biggest regret of her life not going and doing it. So if she does it, who knows? Maybe it, maybe, I don't know, maybe she blew up. But my point is, don't listen to somebody that is afraid that you're going to outshine them. And sometimes, like, friends do this. Like, I've, I've seen this in friends where a friend will tell you you're being extra. And no, it's just like, no, I'm being myself. And if you're trying to drag me down to your level to make you feel more comfortable about where you are, that's a you problem. That's not my problem. Don't drag me down to make yourself feel better about yourself and your situation and everything that you got going on. Like, I'm a fucking eagle. Let me fly, man. You know, like, let me fucking ball. Don't hold me back. Don't hold me down. So if any of you listening have those people that try to make you feel like, oh, they're too much or don't be that loud or like whatever the case is, however it looks in your life, don't listen to those people. Because if you do, it might be the biggest regret of your life. And in Roxanne's case, it was. She listened to her ex-husband that was like, no, I, I, I couldn't take it if my wife outshined me. And he killed her dream. And she listened to him. And I, my heart breaks for that because I've seen, I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen. I've, I've, I've grown up seeing that happen, you know? So it's like, and then you look back and then look, and look what happens, right? It's like, things don't work out. Oh, okay, shocker. So there's not a fairy tale ending and everything's not okay years down the line. Like people split up, people get fired, the recession hits, like things out of the control of the two people in, in making these decisions and things that are unseen happen. And then it's like, wow, so all of those sacrifices that I made were for nothing because now I can't even get this motherfucker to call me back for child support. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's real. That's very real. So it's a cautionary tale, okay? Men and women, both of you are going to have people that try and hold you back or that maybe are too insecure. And, and it happens more times than not with women and an insecure male because males can't stand if their woman is more successful than them and they don't fit into the stereotypical gender roles of the male being the breadwinner, being the hustler, having the money coming home and the woman, um, you know, maybe doing her thing or taking care of the kids and, and, and the house and stuff. But like, you're not going to outshine and out earn the big bad male, right? It's like, dude, here's something that you should really be focused on. Okay. Be a power couple. Be a power couple. If your wife makes more than you, then be her biggest cheerleader. Who gives a fuck if your wife makes more than you, honestly? Does that really bug you? Does that really bug you if you get around your guy friends and they're like breaking your balls that your wife makes more than you? That's not something that you should be ashamed about. That's something that you should be fucking proud about. That woman is busting her ass and she's getting what she's worth. And if anybody ever tries to act like that's a negative, then tell him to fuck off. Or tell him Benny T says fuck off. I'll tell him myself. Let me know. Let me find out, man. Let me find out. And I'll set the record straight one time for the one time because that is needle dick energy and it needs to be extinguished from society. Amber alert. We'll call this writer Amber, okay? Amber said she was hustling. She was running her own business that offers cleaning services 
And she said that she had been doing that for 13 years, but only two in Louisville. Oh, where are you from? I'm originally from Chicago. What made you want to move down here? I came down here for my ex-fiance. He had a small company that he wanted to move down here, and I have family in Shelbyville. So I was like, well, let me try and expand my business and go out that way. So I was like, let's do it. So I came out here, and yeah, I like it. It's like a mini Chicago for me. How long after you moved down here did uh, you and your fiance split? Um, probably a year. Totally unexpected. Yeah, he got deported. Oh shit. Yeah, yeah, he got deported, and uh, after he had left, I found out that he was actually in a whole other relationship the whole entire time. Wow. Yeah. I was like, wow, man, I'm sorry to hear that. I have four kids, and I got married when I was 15, and I actually traveled all the way over here to get married, and um, I got a divorce when I was 27, now I'm 32, so I've only had two relationship relationships, like I was married and stayed with my ex-husband for a very long time, so after that went to shit, and I got in another relationship, him getting deported and finding out he had another life he was running really wasn't surprising to me. I was just over it. So when you say you traveled all the way over here to get here, where were you at before? Illinois. Oh, okay, okay. I, I mean, the way that she said that, I thought she was meaning like, I don't know, a further distance or maybe another country or I don't know. But um, yeah, she was talking about Illinois. And uh, she says, so the father of my children was 18 and I was 14 when we started dating. So when I was pregnant, I was 15 and he was 19. So they were going to take him to jail because I was underage. But they said the only way around it, we already had a daughter too. So the only way around it was to get married. Well, we couldn't do it in Illinois. And I had family in Kentucky. So, <laughs> and Kentucky would let you do that. Yeah. So. We came all the way over here and got married. Yup. Kentucky. <laughs> yup, she says. <laughs> I said, Kentucky ain't worried about telling anybody no. Oh, my gosh. Yup. Like, dude. Oh, it, it pains me sometimes to, because people, you know, look, I'm not here to shit on the place that I'm from, but it's funny because people that live in Louisville, Louisville's a bubble, Louisville is a bubble, okay, and people from Louisville are convinced that Louisville is not Kentucky, but it is, and when you tell people I'm from Louisville, they think Kentucky, so they think about the part of Kentucky that's like, hey, go here to marry a 14-year-old girl, or hey, you can mess around with your third cousin, and it's not that weird, it's like, <laughs> these are the perceptions that other people outside of our bubble here have about us and it's look you can get mad about it okay you can get mad at me for saying that and acknowledging that but it's like let's have fun with it all right let's just have fun with it so it's like to me I hear that I'm just like oh my god like Kentucky is like the safe haven for 15 year olds wanting to get married and have babies it's just like that's <laughs> I, I don't know I, I, I laugh at that so whatever um I said how old were you when you had your first child she said I was 15 Wow. So wait, I want to go back. You're 14 years old. How did you and this guy meet? 
And she said, I was at my friend's quinceanera and I was with him forever. Like I just grew up with him, but I met him there at the quinceanera and I just, I don't know, we, we really grew up together. I mean, yeah, I said, yeah, you, you like, yes, you did. You know, no judgment. I'm not judging, but it's like, yeah, you're you're not kidding. I mean, you were barely a teenager and you were, yes, yes, accurate statement. You grew up together. Yes. Okay. I'm moving on. Um, she said, yeah, so I was one of those house moms and I was just very different from my peers. And I was actually, I was kidnapped when I was 13. I was a poster kid at Walmart. Wait, seriously? Like for a, an entire year then, right? And she said, yeah, I was kidnapped for a year. What happened? Um, my mom's boyfriend kidnapped me and took me to Mexico and held me captive over there. So kidnapped at 13, married at 14, pregnant at 15. She says, I'm a survivor, man. I'm trying to tell you. Fuck yeah, you are. Was it hostile? Did he? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like in a room? I mean, yeah, in a room. Yeah, describe that. Yeah, he locked me in a room. I was like Cinderella, man. And he wanted me to have his child. And I am so surprised that I didn't. I didn't get pregnant or anything. It was just so crazy. So, so crazy. How did you escape? Um, The guy, his brother, his little brother, they left him at home one day and he was tired of hearing me scream for help. And so he just came into the room and he brought me to the phone and he was telling me to use the phone. So I called my mom and the FBI had a tap on the phone and she was telling me, you got to be on for a couple more seconds, a couple more seconds, because I didn't know where I was. I knew I was in Mexico, but I just didn't know exactly where I was. How did he get you past the border? Oh, I had woke up in a vehicle and he was waking me up and he was like, hey, we're here to visit my mom. So be quiet. Your mom's over here on this side too. That's it. We just went across. They searched us and everything and I don't know. I believed them. I didn't have a reason not to. But like the border patrol, they didn't hold you guys up or you didn't need any documents to enter the country. She said, man, at that time, I didn't even know what they were talking about because they were speaking Spanish and I didn't even have any idea. Well, now I'm the most bilingual person you'd ever meet, but they're speaking Spanish. I have no idea what they're saying. Okay, so you were yelling for help and the brother knew? How long do you think he knew? Everybody that lived in that house knew. They were corrupt. His mom and sister beat me. Like, they were crazy. Well, I'm glad you lived to tell that story. Oh, yeah. I love speaking girls who want to run away and stuff. Like, I like to inspire people. I just need to run this back again because when she said this, it, it just absolutely like almost took my breath away. Kidnapped at 13, married at 14, pregnant at 15. I can't even imagine. I, I just, God, there's some sick fucking people in this world. Um, if you want, you can go to www.missingkids.org slash support us slash ways to give if you feel so inclined to make a donation to um, missing kids and and the people who issue amber alerts that's why I named this writer amber because it's like dude you go missing at 13 years old there's a really good chance you might not ever be found again and that's really really sad 
and I mean, again, just another heavy story. Just, just another. I mean, this is just um, there. This episode's full of them today. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful and glad that she made it out of there, and that the brother there was able to let her go and get her on the phone. And man, I, I just. Yeah, I can't even imagine just how how that and then and then like moving forward after you've been kidnapped and like held hostage for a year, um, you're not going to ever trust anybody probably, right? I mean, how would you? And no blame or judgment or at all. Like, but how how could you possibly? I don't know. Just the the PTSD that I think you would live with for the rest of your year being abducted would just be awful. And I, I can't even imagine, um, I can't even imagine. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad she's okay. Um, but then to have this other guy let her down and be like, oh, by the way, we've been together and I'm got the secret life. And, and then, um, he got deported and that's when I was like, man, I bet you were kind of, uh, you know, once you found out about the second life, I bet you were kind of like a little bit, maybe happy that he got deported. Like, Hey, like, you know, like fuck you, man. And she was like, yeah, I was like, if you want to get back to the United States, have your other hoe get you, have your other hoe pick up the tab. (laughs) So it it ended on a, on a, on a, on a good note. But, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a tough one. Clucker. So this one was pretty tough to go ahead and write out mostly because it was tough to have to relive this. Honestly, this one had me a little bit low key spooked. It doesn't happen often, I know, but this one honestly was tough to want to relive. It's the reason that I kind of started a little bit later on this podcast because I knew I was going to have to go through this one again and relive this, and this sucked. It's not something that I would want to do again, and I hope to never see this person again ever in my life. So I pull up to this Wendy's on Preston Highway, and it's this woman and a dude, and they're sitting outside at a table, and I pull up, and he walks around the car, and he's wearing a mask, and he's doing very well, and I wave at her with my mask in my hand, and then she just stops, and she shifts her weight, and she's saying something to me, so I roll down the window, and I say, I'm sorry, what, and she says, I'm not wearing that shit, and I go, oh, okay, bye, and I start to drive off, and immediately, she starts saying, I'm fucking with you, I'm fucking with you, oh, really, I said, yeah, she said, not today, bad joke, don't do that to him today, well, the dude gets in, I didn't go very far, or fast, <laughs> but I was, I was like, I was seriously like, should I fucking leave, I'm, I, 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 I want nothing to do with this person, I want nothing to do with this person, and now she's giving me a reason to go ahead and bounce, and I, I probably just should have done it right then and there, but I'm like, whatever, I need the, <laughs> this might lead to a great story, and holy shit, it, it uh, could have led to a lot more, I'm lucky, but it did lead to a, a good story, I don't know if it's good, but I don't know, you be the judge, so the guy gets in, and he's like, yeah, she's not funny, what's up brother, how you doing? I'm like, pretty good, man. How are you? He's like, good. She opens the door, 
and she's like she's like running her mouth the whole time could barely understand what she's saying it's just gibberish just straight like gibberish and I just catch like glimpses of sentences and words that I build in my head to be like oh that's what she's trying to say so she gets in and she's like good for you though I like how you stand your ground and I'm just like why are you kissing my ass? Like, shut up. You were just talking shit to me. Just very aggressive with me. Like, between your body language and the way that you're like, not wearing that shit. Like, that's my first impression of you. And then you're just going to turn around and be like, oh, I, 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 good for you, though. I like how you stand your ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, get the fuck in. Shut the fuck up. Sit the fuck down. Buckle the fuck up. And let's ride. So, she's just standing there with the door open and I'm like okay are you getting in or out or like and under his breath he says unfortunately and she's literally still running her mouth like saying things putting her mask on and talking to herself and she's like normally they don't care normally they don't make me wear this and I'm like I don't know whose uber you're riding in but (laughs) okay well you know I whatever like in this car you wear it okay Well, at this point, the dude asks how to add a new address. So I'm like telling him, hey, I can show you how to do it. She gets in and she slams the door shut as I'm telling this guy about the addresses. And she slams it hard. And I said, easy with the door. I'm actually like, look, you need to either act right or else I'm not going to let you continue on this trip. And this bitch looks at him and giggles like it's funny. And we've all come to watch her little show, and she's this entertaining person. And I said, seriously, I mean, show some respect. Yes, sir, absolutely, she says. So I'm just like, <laughs> why is she testing me? Like, what is what is this? What is going on right now? I don't understand. So I just try to brush it off, ignore her. I'm like, I'm not going to engage with this bitch. It's not worth it. I'm just going to get this address, get these people to where they need to go, and I'm done. So I asked the dude, what's your new address? And he gives it to me, and I'm messing with the thing. I'm not paying her any mind. She's literally just talking to herself. And when I try and put in this new address into the app and update it on my phone, it doesn't work. And he exhales. He's like... When I tell him, like, it's not working, I'm not really sure what's going on, he's just kind of getting a little bit frustrated, not at me, but just the fact that it's not going the way that he wants it to go. So I can tell that he's not really at ease, and she's just, like, literally off in her own world. So I'm like, all right, well, here, let me see your phone. Let me try to do it from there. I'm just staying calm. And as I'm trying to update it on his phone, she leans up and says to me, Oh, and sweetie, I wasn't trying to disrespect your door. I just have a strong arm. It was not in anything relation towards you. I just don't acknowledge her. So then he says, all right, so I'm on Uber here. I'm like, all right, let me see it. So he hands me the phone. And then she says, you got a really nice car though too. And again, I just ignore her. So neither of our phones are letting us update the app. And he says, well, what if I just pay you cash? I'm like, Okay, well, how far is this other spot? He says, well, it's pretty comparable distance-wise from the PNC on Preston because we're going that way, and then she's probably less than two miles away from that. So, okay, that's fine. Pay me in cash, and then we'll complete that trip and then continue on. So there's clearly some miscommunication here, okay? But 
I'm thinking that we're going to this address, the PNC on Preston. He needs to go there. That's what was originally in the phone as being the end destination. So we're going to go to PNC, and then he's asking me to take him to another address. That's what I think is happening. Um, so what really, looking back on this, he was saying was, hey, let's go ahead and don't go to PNC, although he never, ever said that. Don't go to this address. He's saying, hey, actually just take us to this address from here, and then she's going to be like two miles up the road. But I swear to God, there was nothing that said, hey, don't go to this first address on the app. Um, so I'm thinking, okay, we're, we're doing two trips here. In my mind, that's two trips. In their mind, it's two trips. But really, what happens is I end up going to the PNC anyways because no one, neither of them ever told me like, hey, don't go to this bank. Like we don't actually need to go to this address. So there's clearly some miscommunication and I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit flustered just based on the way that this ride has started and the energy that she's giving me from the back. And like, we haven't even driven a foot yet. So I'm just like, lost in this confusion and, and a little bit flustered and I miss the part where she's saying we need to go up the road a little bit further and get get her where she needs to go. So third stop, I miss that part. Well, we start rolling to the address that he put in the app. And then I hear her on the phone with somebody and she's doing this weird thing with her voice where she's trying to make herself sound sweet and gentle. And she's like, hey, honey, sorry it took me so long to get back to you. You know, mommy's working hard to give you all the things you want. Mommy will be right there in the morning. Mommy's got to work all day. Basically trying to make herself sound like she's the world's greatest mom, which is funny, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But while she's on the phone, this guy and I have been talking about the shit that hit the fan for him that day, which he said, yeah, things have just not been going great today which was ended up being like the story about them scrambling to get a card with his name on it, which no banks print instantly, and he needed money to do something, and they were running around at different banks trying to get them, and, and basically it was just like this clusterfuck of a story of them scrambling all around Preston Highway to try and get money. And I hear this bitch get off the phone, and she's behind me, so I cannot see her, but she leans forward and down, and I hear her rail three fat lines of something. Drugs. For sure. A thousand percent. She just did drugs literally right behind me. Because she does these three lines, and at first I'm like, what the fuck? Did she just snort something? And then she does it a second time, and the dude's still talking, and then I hear her do a third. And then she throws her fucking head back. And she continues to have the sniffles and snort the entire rest of the trip. So she a thousand percent did drugs literally right behind me. What kind of drugs? I don't know. I would go as far as to say and go ahead and just out on a limb here and guess it was either crack or meth. But based on the name that he uses to describe her a little bit later in this story... I'm going to go ahead and say it's crack. I think she snorted crack literally right behind me and then had trouble choking it down the rest of the ride right behind me. 
It was an awesome time. It was so fun. You guys should really drive for Uber because people literally do crack in your backseat. Okay, so, and use the code BennyT if you drive for Uber because I get discounts for, uh, or I get like a credit for signing people up. So yeah, I think it's BennyTU71. There you go. Um, It's at this moment that I realized that why this guy is sounding like, he's literally been in the back like, a couple times he's thrown his head back against the seat and it sounds like he's having heart palpitations and he's sucking on his gums and I just think, you know what? Both these motherfuckers are fried. They're kited. They're high as shit. And I'm thinking to myself, do I say anything? Like, here's the thing. It it was really like a real world, real situation. I'm in the fucking, I talk about the trenches This is the trenches, my friends. You guys think that I'm joking around when I'm like, yeah, man, I'm in the streets. Dude, I am in the streets. The streets come to me. The streets are in my back seat, you know? I can't avoid it, right? And I'm I'm literally like, okay, do I say anything? Because if I say something, it honestly would probably be worse than, than just like having to finish this trip knowing that she's high as fuck. Because I'm thinking... If I stop this ride and I get confrontational and I say, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get the fuck out. Who's to say that she actually gets out? And that's the thing that sucks about Uber and Lyft and, and these ride-sharing companies is that if, if, if I say, hey, what am I supposed to do if I end the app and this person won't get out of the car? Like, who's going to help me? You know, I'm on my own, man. So it's it's... what do you do? What do you do? What what, what am I supposed to do? Like, I want to so badly be like, did you just fucking snore drugs right behind me? Like, are you seriously that stupid? Why would you think that's okay in here? You know? And I I just, I'm like, you know what? If I say something, it's probably going to be worse than, than, than this. So let's just keep it cool. Keep going. I just cannot wait already for this ride to be over. Like, this is insane. This is fucked up. This is dark. This just got dark really, really fast, okay? So, I don't say anything. I just continue talking. Well, now, you know, it's like I told the story of the other tweakers who literally told me that they were high on meth, about to go fuck this dude up, and I was just, like, talking to them, like... I just need to make sure that they're comfortable, they're calm, they're not going to get paranoid and flip out on me, right? Well, they were actually, besides the fact that, you know, they were high, look, and again, no judgment, okay? But they were chill. This chick has already been aggressive a handful of times. She's already been confrontational with me, and then she's just like doing, and, and the other two just got in the car and were high already. This bitch was high already and then did more drugs right behind me. So the rest of the trip, she literally proceeds to speak complete gibberish in a low voice where only he can hear what she's saying. And she's off in her own world. I mean, she's in the fucking stratosphere, man. Well, we pull up to this PNC bank to which they had both made reference to needing to use. And when we get there, he's like, well, actually, we don't need to go here. We just put it in for GPS purposes. And then she's like chirping in my ear. Like, I don't even know what she was saying. She's just like, and I'm just trying to stay cool because she's definitely liable to get aggressive. And 
he's just like, well, we're just going to give you cash, and if you'll take us to this address, you know, whenever you can hit an ATM, I'll get you squared away. <laughs> well, we're sitting in the parking lot of a PNC. Like, we literally just got there. I'm like, do you want to use that one right there? I mean, we're literally, like, less than 15 feet away from the ATM looking at it. I'm staring right at it. I'm like, how about that one? Do you think that one works? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Drugs, man. Um, so he's like, oh yeah, that, that's, uh, I was just about to say that. So he hops out and me and this woman sat in silence for like probably two minutes. It was like the most uncomfortable two minutes I've probably ever been in. And then right as he's about to open up the door, he's walking back to the car. As he's opening up the door, she hawks the biggest, nastiest loogie to clear whatever she just snorted down her throat and nose and she says, sorry, had to. I'm like, <laughs> it's funny when, it's, it's, it's just like, it's funny to me when you choose to get chesty, right? When it's just me and her, she doesn't say shit. As soon as this guy comes back, what she perceives to be protection, she just does whatever she wants. It's a pattern that I'm seeing in her life, okay? So he gets in and then we're waiting to turn back onto Preston and then all of a sudden his phone starts ringing. And up until this point, this dude's been chill. I can, I can tell he's high, okay? He's really struggling with his breathing at different points. He's really like, he's really struggling with it, right? Trying to calm the breathing down. That's, that's how I know he was on uppers for sure, okay? And his phone starts ringing and he says, mother. And he answers it and says, Hello? Yeah, you've already texted me once. Mom, you texted me several times this morning. Well, now his breathing starts to pick up, and he's getting tense, and he flicks his face real hard, and he's like talking to her as he says, mm, yep, yep. So he's like really starting to get frustrated, and I can literally feel the energy in the back of the car getting so tense that it's actually frightening to me. Like, I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, up until this point, this dude was the chill one. Now, he's starting to have a negative reaction, and he's high, and she just blasted off right next to us. So, this is not going well, guys. This is not going well. Well, all I want to do is get these people the fuck out of my car as fast as I can and keep it mellow to avoid risking them flip out. Well then, as he's on the phone, her phone starts ringing, and she holds it up to him to show him who's calling, and he finishes the phone conversation with his mom really quickly, hangs up on her, and she says, what do I tell him? And she's like, you were going to give it to him, right? And he doesn't know what to say. He's just like, sure. So she answers before it stops ringing. She's like, Hey, sorry. Yeah, I thought y'all handled that at the table. I had no idea. Okay, okay, yeah, I had no idea. I'm sorry, honey. Okay, well, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And she looks at him, and she says, You want me to tell him he can pick it up from you? And the guy's like, Sure. And she says, Okay, I'm going to give you his number. That way you can coordinate with him. Well, this dude on the phone tosses out a price, and she looks at the guy that she's sitting next to, and, and he's like, yeah, uh, and she's like, okay, yeah, he said yeah, and then um, the guy says, wait, I said no, I cannot, and then she's like, oh, sorry, sorry, he cannot, 
Yeah, man, we've really just had like the craziest, shittiest day, man. Like anything that could hit us in the face, especially him. So it's not like we were trying to be rude to you or anything. And and you know what? I'm super impressed with you because like you've been blowing me up because you know I got you right. So like thank you for that. I need that accountability. You know, I'm super impressed for you keeping me in check. Okay, sweetie, don't forget I got to work tonight. Okay, bye. And I'm just like, <laughs> how did? What was that conversation? Like, so she hangs up and he takes a long exhale. He's like pissed. He's like, <sighs> I'm pretty sure she does another bump because it's not as long of an inhale as when we were sitting there earlier, but it's definitely a very fast, very aggressive. <clears throat> so I'm like, great. That's always the answer. Just more drugs. More, more, order more. Like, and I'm not judging because listen, not off crack. I've never done meth or crack, but I've definitely been in that mode where I just want more and more and more. And I get it, but like, come on, man. There's a fucking time and a place for this, and there's a way to go about it. That's the thing. It's like so fucking indecent the way that this person was carrying on her life just in this brief 15, 20 minute snapshot that I met her. I'm just disgusted, to be honest. And I'll, I'll get to why that is. But, <laughs> oh my God. Um, she was like, remember we talked about it before we left and everything? And he says, well, 40 is what I remember hearing. Because we were at Derby City and I said, how much? But, you know, whatever. And she says, I don't know, I thought we talked about it at the house. And that's why y'all were good. So here's what I think was going on here, okay? I think these two were at Wendy's, met up with some other person. They told him, I, I can only, like I'm only assuming just based on what I'm piecing together, but I think what happened at Wendy's was a deal gone wrong. This guy that called her thought that he was about to get drugs and they took this guy's money and didn't give him the drugs, so this guy's calling and blowing up her phone, pissed off, like, what the fuck? You guys said you would be right back. You definitely aren't here at Wendy's anymore or wherever they had just come from. Like, that. that's actually probably more likely. They walked to the Wendy's and wherever this happened, like, hey, let me go get the stash. It's right around the corner. They just took this dude's money and went to Wendy's and got an Uber and left. I'm pretty certain that's what happened here. And then the fact that she gets called out and she's trying to kiss this dude's ass. It was funny because when she got in, if you notice, that's exactly what she did to me. She's like, oh, I respect you for that, though. Like, yeah, yeah, I gotta, you know, take my shit, like, blah, 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 blah. She's like, you're kissing my ass. Like, why are you doing that? Like, shut the fuck up. And she thought that she was getting away with something by scamming this dude, okay, and not giving them what he paid for. And then she's going to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, hey, I, I respect you for that. Like, you know, hey, keeping us in check, keeping me accountable. And like, it's like, dude, not everyone is as stupid as you are. You literally think that you're gaming everybody, that everybody is just blind to the scheme that you're pulling. You're smarter than everybody. And really, you're just fucking high. Like, you're really dumb and you're really high. And everybody sees right through your bullshit. And I, it, it, it hurts me. It hurts me to listen to that conversation she was having with presumably her son, right? It could have been a daughter, but could, uh, presumably her son, 
where she's sitting here on the phone like using this fake voice like, oh, mommy loves you. Mommy's out here working hard. Mommy's doing all this stuff to give you the life that you deserve. And she's lying to this person that is too young to see through his mom's bullshit. And I'm I'm, 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 I'm sitting here thinking to myself, you're not working. You're in the back of a fucking Uber snorting drugs. Like, it doesn't get much more low life than that. It really doesn't. And if that sounds judgmental, I'm sorry. Um, but just I'm gonna I'm just I'm just keeping it real here. I, I just I have no respect for this person. I'm totally sympathetic to people who suffer from addiction, who abuse drugs. Um, I, I it is what it is. I don't pass judgment on those people. They're diseased. I have the disease. I certainly can abuse drugs and alcohol, and it's tough to turn it off for me sometimes and so like I can appreciate all of that but I can still say you know what I'm not saying that this person right here specifically is a piece of shit because of the drugs I'm saying she's a piece of shit because of the way that she's treating other people and because of the way that she's going about her life decisions that's my point so it's not all drug users are pieces of shit. It's this person in this moment, on this day, in this car, is a piece of shit. Everybody good with that? Cool. So about a minute goes by, and things are tense. Things are tense in the car. And I'm just trying to keep conversation going, keep it a little light. So I say, y'all got any plans for the weekend? And he kind of chuckles, and then she just says, you're real funny. You know that? You're real funny. And I was like, okay, I didn't know that this was going to turn into that. Like, okay, I'll just stop talking. Like, holy shit, fuck me, man. So she gets super confrontational again, and I'm like, oh, my God. Well, he talks about Derby being next weekend and just hanging out, and then out of nowhere, like literally maybe like 15, 20 seconds of like dead air time, you know, nobody talking has gone by. And then she just randomly says, that's my plan to stay above water, buddy. How about you? Like really fucking like, and I just said, same. (laughs) I'm a risky, I I, I know, I know, you know, I'm just like, I'm, I, 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 I don't know, man. His mouth sometimes. I'm just like, yeah, same. I mean, just dripping in douchebaggery and just like, I know what I'm doing. I'm just picking at her a little bit by being like, oh, no, it's cool. Yeah, same. No, we're on the same page, sis. So we go about another two minutes and then she starts saying things to him about not having time to talk. And then she says something about me and I know she was literally talking shit right behind my fucking head. Because she's like, yeah, because Johnny Bravo here is going to do something, blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, <laughs> I can't believe this. I, I, I literally, like, <laughs> once again, I just ignore her because it's not worth it. That's the thing. Like, it's just not worth it. So we pull up to his spot and they're about to be out of the car. And if I engage with this bitch, I know it's going to get ugly. I know it's going to get ugly. And I don't know where that is going to lead because... She's very unpredictable at this point. 
I have no idea. But she's already been confrontational like four times already, and I'm just like, please, can this get any faster? So we pull up, and I throw it in park, and I'm like, all right, guys. And then she chirps up and says, okay, so I'm going to, I say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. She says, yeah, it's what we talked about. He's got to pay for it. No, that's a second, that's a whole other trip, guys. He says, okay, well, thanks for that one. And it was cool, okay? Um, she says, we're good. I kind of had a feeling because it was me, you weren't going to do it anyways. So we were already on point, you and me inside our heads. Whatever the fuck that means. I said, that's a whole other trip. I know, you're right. And then he starts to say something and she cuts him off and says, no, don't worry about it. No, I got somebody to pick me up. He says, okay. She goes, this Uber driver can do whatever he wants to. He says, thank you, sir. I said, all right, man, take care. And she says, appreciate your time, darling. And she slams the door again. <laughs> this guy's still in the car, kind of one leg out, one leg in. He's like, you got five stars. And I turned back to look back at him, and I was like, I'm sorry, man. She's tripping. And he said, no, no, don't apologize for shit. I make this fucking clucker do whatever I want. I said, all good. <laughs> and he handed me $30 cash, which was double the 15 that I said it would take them to get from what I thought was going to be. Listen, here's what I thought. I thought they need to go to PNC, and then they need to add another stop. So we're going to go to the bank and then we're going to go to this other location that he needs, and then that's it, okay? They actually were saying, once we got to the bank, we didn't need to go to the bank. Even though they had talked about needing an ATM, we got to the bank, and they were like, well, we actually just put this in for GPS purposes. I don't know what that means, but then we had two separate trips that they were trying to get me to take after that, which I agreed to the one dropping him off at the address, which I thought that they were both going to. But then when we get there, just mis 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 miscommunication mis because she was saying, oh, we actually need to go here. I'm going here. It's and, and I'm like, dude, time out. I don't give a shit. Like the thought of me and you being in the same car alone get real like what universe how much how many drugs have you taken today if if you think that the way that this ride is gone and the energy that has existed between us is going to lead to something good happening when it's just you and me in the car and we're offline it's just like i'm gonna pay you cash you're gonna take me fuck no like are you Get checked out. Get checked out by a mental professional. I, I I don't I don't know what to tell you, man. But like, hell no. So he hands me this cash, and he shuts the door. And I could see that she was standing in the driveway, just talking more shit. And I'm actually surprised when she got out, she didn't like kick the car or hit the car. And I took my mask down so she could see me smile at her and wave. And I waved at her with the money in my hand. And I was smiling at her and I threw it in reverse and started rolling away. And she took a few steps toward me and got louder and I just got the fuck out of there. <laughs> that is absolutely the craziest story that I have ever encountered as an Uber driver. And again, I really, really want to stress this and I can't stress this enough. I'm not judging this person based on anything outside of the way that she treated me and the energy that she gave to me and the way that she literally did not stop talking shit from 
literally the second I pulled up and rolled my window down to the second I rolled away and she was walking towards the car. So if I said anything that sounds judgmental or misogynistic, me me saying, oh, this bitch, this bitch, this bitch, like, okay, I apologize. It's not my intention to sound misogynistic and it's, it is what it is, but I'm, I'm literally like, this bitch earned the right to be called a bitch because she was a bitch to me, okay? So I just want to clear the record on that because I don't want anybody to come back at me and be like, oh my God, you say that you don't judge people and you sound really judgy and it's just like, no, that's, that's not true. But if somebody is acting up, then I'm probably not going to like that person and I'm probably going to say things that might sound mean, but oh well, like nice for what? Nice for what? That was a wild ride, man. And seriously, I drove away thinking, damn, like that could have gone really bad. That could have gone really bad. And it, not going to lie, I mean, it, it had me a little bit shaken up. That was the last ride that I did that day. I did not want to follow that up with anything. I just went home. I uh, <laughs> I I can't believe that. Um, I I I don't have the words for it. I mean, I I just it could have gone worse. I'm glad that it didn't. I hope that I never have to see this person again. And I I just I just have no respect for somebody that thinks that they're outsmarting everybody else and thinks they're getting over on everybody else and is really just doing some low-life shit, just scheming, just scheming, man. Like a fucking sewer rat. It's just, get away from me. Trans in Kentucky. I pull up and uh, my rider hops in. I'm like, how we doing? She says, are you Benjamin? And I just said, yes, sir. And she shoots me this look as she's sitting down in the uh, seat and putting on her seatbelt. And she just like stops putting on her seatbelt. And she looks at me and says, oh, it's ma'am. I was like, my bad, my bad. And she said, it's okay. And uh, I said, to be fair, whenever I say like, you guys or dude or yes sir or something, it's mostly agnostic. Like it's, it's mostly just agnostic. And she's like, okay. And I said, yeah, I wasn't trying to assume your gender or anything. And she says, you're fine. You're fine. And I'm like, okay, cool, 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 cool. You know, that's, hey, it, it is what it is. You know, that's, that's a really, listen, people are going to get pissed off if uh, you're not on your P's and Q's. And it's just the reality of where we're at in society, which is a good thing. Because like, if, if you're somebody that scoffs at that and is like, assuming gender, oh my God, get a load of this lib. Listen to what this person has to say, and then maybe you'll understand why that why I get that look, right? Why she's like so pissed off because she's probably just fed up of having to to to, to deal with the reactions of being a transgender woman in Kentucky. And when I get through the story, I think you'll probably understand why. So I start making talk, like small talk, and I'm like, so how's your day going? She's like, pretty good. And then we were off and running. So it was a little bit rocky there at the beginning. I thought, oh, God, no, did I just ask? Because that's the thing. It's like I-, I wasn't trying to do any harm, right? But there are little things that even when people that think they're allies like myself or th- think that they're not 
doing harm or trying to do harm and that's not my intention to do harm. It's like there's still little blind spots and little things that are harmful or hurtful or can be. And so little checks every now and then are good. Okay. They're, they're, it's like maintenance, right? It's like, cause, cause like my goal is not to harm anybody, right? It's as, as a journalist, it's actually one of the four pillars of journalism is to minimize harm. And I take that approach in society as well. It's like, look, who the fuck am I to judge? You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to make this person feel bad about the way that they're living their life because honestly, does it affect me at all? How they choose to express themselves? No. Okay, next. Like, that's where it starts and stops for me. So it's just like, all right, cool. I want to make sure that I get it right. So the next time that I have one of these situations, I maybe am a little bit more mindful of even throwing out something like that, just being like, and that's literally how I said it. I was just like, yes, sir. Like, but, you know, she took it as, oh, here's another asshole that's not going to acknowledge me as a person and a human being. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not me. I know that you probably deal with that a lot, but I promise you, that's not me. It's just like, I, I call my girlfriends, dude. I'm like, dude, I, I just, I don't know. I'm, that's just how I am. So, but the reason that we were able to kind of like pick this thing back up and get back to smooth flying was because she knew that I wasn't that person. And, and I think that was awesome. So, um, she, uh, was on her way to work at one of the local airports and she said that she worked as an air marshaler. So she waves the planes down the runways, okay? And my old boss, one of my old bosses would be so proud of me because I totally remember this from my time selling theater and performing arts equipment. It was a lot of band stuff, a lot of stuff that you'd see in a band room like acoustical paneling and treatments for space, um, musical instrument cabinets, stuff like that. And... Um, in an untreated space, I know this because I had to go to so many architecture offices in San Francisco, Sacramento, Oakland, and San Jose. I was giving these um, lunch and learn presentations to some of the top architects in the world, educating them on the space that exists and the sound that exists within the space in a band room. And if a band room is untreated, the sound of all of the instruments combined can reach up to 129 decibels, which is the equivalent of a jet plane engine. And I asked this woman who I'm speaking with, do you wear the plugs in your ears? And she said, no. And I was like, oh, sis, fuck. Like, you're going to go deaf by age 28. <laughs> like, oh my God, what are you doing? Like, because literally... I know how damaging that can be to your ears because that's the whole reason and that's the whole safety aspect as to my pitch when I would go in and do some of these pitches. It was like, hey, you don't want kids coming and suing you in 15 years because you guys were too cheap to specify some products for the band room and set aside some money for the band and the choir um, as opposed to just giving all of the money to the football and basketball teams, okay? So, like, if you want to avoid a lawsuit for um, massive hearing loss, you'll put the right equipment in this, and I'd be happy to lay that out for you, specify our stuff for you, and go ahead and give you some pricing, just in case you want to look at it, right? You can just throw it into your design documents, and then everybody's happy, okay? Pretty smooth, right? Yeah, I think so, too. Well, um... <laughs> 
I'm like, sis, you got to wear some shit in your ears, even if it's just like some Beats by Dre, like the little earphones, like they're awesome noise cancelers. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I know. So um, anyways, we, we kind of had that discussion and then she told me how long she's been working there and I was like, do you go to school? Because she was very young looking. And she said, well, I had to stop school for several reasons, but she said she wanted to finish and I was like, why did you stop? Did it just get to be too much or what? And she said, well, just a bunch of different stuff. Financially, um, that was tough. I wasn't really prepared. Distractions. I just had to take some time to really figure out what I want to do. And then the whole trans thing affected me as far as coming out. So it was just like a lot hitting at once. When did you come out? 2015. Okay, wow. So I'm thinking about this in terms of, in my mind, my first thought was Caitlyn Jenner. And this is going to sound not probably the way that, like I'm sure that there's going to be trans people that would be like, listen, Caitlyn Jenner does not speak for fucking trans people, okay? Caitlyn Jenner speaks for Caitlyn Jenner. And I totally get that. But there'd also be a lot of trans people that would say, hey, this brought our issues to the forefront. This was a very public thing that, fine, the vehicle for it, Caitlyn Jenner, might not be something that we're all like jumping up and down and doing backflips for, but it did spark discussion and get us a seat at the table. And I think if you look at a lot of different social interest groups, okay, um, where there's a cause and people aren't really paying attention to it, and then boom, and then boom, something big happens, somebody high profile, it happens to them, and then all of a sudden, everybody goes, holy shit, maybe we should start taking this serious. So like, I think about it almost like a before Caitlyn Jenner and after Caitlyn Jenner, because after she did that interview, it was like, oh wow, like, this is going to be something that we really need to start recognizing more in society. Okay, and think about it with like AIDS. Okay, let's take AIDS for instance. When Rock Hudson died of AIDS in 1985, it was a shock. It was like AIDS had been going on and gay men had been dying in their communities for years before Rock Hudson died. Okay, but when Rock Hudson died, that's when it was almost like uh, the rest of America went, holy shit, oh my God, Rock Hudson died, right? And it's sad that it has to take something like that to happen. But then it's also like, okay, now it's at the forefront. Now now we're talking about it. Now, right, we, we might not love the person that took us here, but like now we're here. So, you know, and then like in 1991, you have like Freddie Mercury who announces that he has AIDS and literally dies a day later. Um, I think that also advanced um, kind of AIDS being, because like AIDS was like, you know, people... Like, I, I, I draw on this quote from an, a previous writer that I had. He's like, man, when straight people had their sexual revolution, it was called the summer of love, and they got the 1960s. And when gay people had their sexual revolution, we got AIDS and a government that told us they don't give a fuck about us if we die. It's like, damn, that's real talk. And in 1991, you start to see straight men announcing that they have AIDS and HIV. Magic Johnson. 
that blew the lid off of the sports world and just society because it was like, here's this beloved figure, a straight man. How does he get HIV? How does he get AIDS? When it was previously a misperception and mis commonly misunderstood that AIDS was like an only gay disease, right? Later, EZE, NWA, EZE dies from AIDS. So it's like these things start to happen and it pushes the envelope. It pushes us forward as a society where we start to go, okay, now we need to take this seriously. And I think about it like this too. Like now I wasn't, I wasn't even alive when, um, Easy Ear Magic Johnson died. I was born in 92, right? So definitely wasn't alive when Rock Hudson announced that he had AIDS and died of AIDS. But I was alive when Philip Seymour Hoffman overdosed from fentanyl. I was a journalist at the University of Kentucky. And that was a huge story, especially in Kentucky. And at that moment, I, I think about that as being one of my first memories of the opioid crisis. It was like, holy shit, the dude from Mission Impossible 3 just died because he overdosed on some shit that he didn't know was going to kill him. And then it was like, wow, how does somebody so famous and successful, the guy yelling out, let it rain, and Rainmaker from Along Came Polly, how is that guy using heroin? Oh, wait, let's understand heroin more. Let's understand addiction more. Let's understand how big pharma companies have flooded this country and created a dependence on their products that now people who cannot maybe have access to them um, or afford them, maybe not in Philip Seymour Hoffman's case, but like maybe he didn't have the access. Now he's searching out for other avenues and things to get. Now he's shooting up with something that he has no idea what it is and it kills him. And that was like one of those first moments for me where it was like, holy shit, like, wow, this thing is really bad. And I remember almost my experiences reading about or hearing or watching things that were happening in America and I guess around the world, but really here in the forefront were, hey, Philip Seymour Hoffman died. And it's like a before and after thing for me. So like I, 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 I say all that stuff to kind of put it into perspective of me making the statement that I think about trans rights and transgender people kind of before and after Caitlyn Jenner because before that I mean yeah I had definitely seen transgender people I had definitely been in classes with them at the University of Kentucky and in sociology classes but honestly even then it was like 2013 2014 I just I didn't really know many transgender people at all but when Caitlyn Jenner came out it was like oh shit and then you started seeing it more and more, and it advanced that that thing. It pressed the issue, and and for the for the for good, right? For good, liker or hater or whatever your opinion is on Caitlyn Jenner, um, she did good for the world. And you might not you might not agree with that. And um, find another podcast because we're not here to shame anybody here. So get the fuck out. There's the fucking door. Get the fuck out right now. Okay? It's that simple. It's that simple. Okay, I'm going to continue on with this story, all right? <laughs> We're coming hard today, man. I I'm I'm I I uh I make no apologies for that, okay? So, we keep talking, I say, so when did you come out? 
And she says, 2015. Okay, cool. So got to that part now. Here we go. So what has your experience been like being out in Kentucky as trans? And she says, well, there could be better places. (laughs) We both laugh. And she says, like, honestly, though, when I first came out, I was only out at home and I wasn't out in public. It took me about a year or so to get comfortable enough being out in public but it's been okay for the most part. Honestly, I've had more negative experiences than positive experiences, but I try to focus on the positive. And then I started doing hormones in 2017, and that was an adventure in itself. Why? Because originally, I went to the doctor's office for a bladder problem. So they sent me to a urologist, who then sent me to an endocrinologist, and then while I was there, I ended up starting on hormones. So, do you still take hormones? Mm Mm-hmm. How expensive is that every month? Without insurance, it's probably pretty expensive, but with insurance, it's about 60 bucks. And that lasts you through a month? Well, $60 lasts three months, but it really just depends on how much you're taking because, like, I'm on three medications. What do those help you do? Well, I'm on an estrogen hormone, And then there's basically a testosterone blocker. And then there's another one called progesterone, which is like estrogen, but it helps more so with breasts. And then how long do they say that it'll take you to... Okay, so if you're taking something then, are you... Is it... Are you trying to grow breasts? Like clearly I'm I'm trying to ask this question in I'm just trying to I'm just trying to be careful and and not, you know, ask in a way that's going to offend her and, you know, but I'm I'm just curious, but that's why I'm like kind of stumbling over these words a little bit because I'm just trying to to I'm just trying to get it right. Honestly, I'm just trying to understand. That's all I'm here to do. That's that's really honestly all I'm trying to do is just help help me understand, you know, so then I can be educated and and I can like draw on this experience and learn from you and then the next time I'm speaking with a trans person if they're a transgender woman then maybe I'll understand a little bit more about what they've been through and what they're dealing with and what they might be about to be be doing like so help me help me to help you because that's all I'm here to do man is just tell some fucking stories and educate some people along the way so um, and, and you guys are learning with me. I mean, literally. So she she says, mm-hmm, yeah, well, I already have them. And so my next question is, <laughs> no, I laugh because this is like a total boy question and it's a total me question, but I say, so how big are you trying to get them? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how big do you want to grow your breasts, you know? And uh, she says, well, since... I'm biologically male. My doctor said that naturally I wouldn't have large breasts. So not to be like nasty or anything. I'm like, no, you're good. She says, like right now I'm a B cup and I might be at my level because I've been on hormones for about four years now and they say it takes about four to six years. So I've pretty much hit my level, but I don't know yet because I've been getting boosts for some reason. What do you mean? Well, in both the estrogen and the testosterone, like it was a couple years ago and my testosterone went through the roof, like out of nowhere. And it really scared my doctor because my test levels were like 
three times the amount of what it was before I started hormones and started taking all of this estrogen and the testosterone blocker. And he just didn't understand that. And I didn't either. And I said, yeah, I mean, and listen, I don't know shit about shit about shit, but just hearing that, I'm. this is like where my brain goes. I'm like, yeah, I think that was probably, like maybe that was your body, and since your body naturally produces the testosterone, maybe that's your body's response to taking this other stuff. It's thinking, whoa, I got to work harder to maintain my levels. It doesn't know that you're trying to make this shift and, and essentially override the system, right? And she said, yeah, and actually that's pretty much what my doctor told me too, but I didn't realize it was going to be that bad. I'm like, hey, 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 I'm not a doctor, but I play one on my podcast. Okay, so did you feel a difference when you had this testosterone surge? Yes, she says. I felt a huge, how should I describe it? It felt, let's just say I felt like a rabbit, basically. Like, I was. I can't explain it. My energy was through the roof, and the only thing on my mind was literally just, I wanted to have a baby. Not to be nasty, but I guess it was just like the natural male thing, but but then, wait, 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 wait. Let me clarify. You wanted to have sex or you wanted to physically have a baby? I wanted to have sex, she says, and she's laughing, and I'm like, yeah, no, listen, this is a safe space, you know, like, hey, you know, but she says, yeah, no, I wanted to have sex. I mean, that wasn't the only thing on my mind. Like, my energy was up. I felt a little bit more moody, like irritable. Yeah, and like the estrogen, being on hormones for so long, I'm not easily aroused. Like, I have to really be thinking about it or like have someone touching me. It it just, it's, it's, it's just, it's different. I don't know. It's, I can't explain it. But now I'm calmer. I'm not as irritable anymore. It helped me with my social anxiety, which I have really bad social anxiety. But that's better now. And... I usually don't ever talk to people about this stuff, but for some reason, I just really feel comfortable telling you this stuff. I don't know why. I'm like, my heart, my fucking heart. That's like the biggest compliment in the world to me is like when someone says, I have social anxiety, I never tell people this. I never talk to people this much. I've never shared this much with an Uber driver. Um... It's, it's like the biggest compliment to me because it's like I can reach that person. Like, and, and to me, that's, that's awesome because um, if I'm not doing it, then is anybody? Like, who can? You know what I mean? Like, not to make myself sound like, a, but like that, that is like my skill. Like, that is one of those things. I just make people feel comfortable opening up to me. And it is a skill. And doing this is like a really awesome way to build upon that skill and use it in a way for for good I think and 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 yeah and it's like you know I'm, I'm kind of patting myself on the back here a little bit but like I've always known that this is like one of my strongest talents and so now I feel like I'm I'm doing good in a way that helps me hopefully make some money off of it but also do some really good with it too and I don't know that's just like that's such a that's such an awesome thing to hear that's such a positive thing to hear. Like when you see yourself in some way and then someone confirms it, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and sit down and reach a black transgender woman, you know, 
We might not have a lot of things in common if we sit down and just start to try and go through it. But if we just meet randomly and just sit down and start having a conversation and I can get this person to open up to me, that's amazing. That's amazing. So I'm I'm here for it, okay? So I continue and I say, and then so do you feel like being in Louisville, most people are accepting and tolerant? Is it getting better? Do you still get looks? Or when you go to other places, do you ever just sense that you're way more accepted without even having to say anything to anybody? Like, I'm just curious as to what it's like in Louisville to be a trans person and be out about it. She says, if I'm around people my age, I can feel a little bit more accepted. But if I'm out of the university areas, to be pretty honest, I feel like I have to have my guard up all the time. And I do get strange looks a lot of times. And then... I get some people who will just outright disrespect me even though they know I'm trans. By doing what, I said? By just being demeaning. Like, just calling me sir after they know that I prefer ma'am. Or, like, calling me out, hey tranny, or whatever. You know, just little things like that. And it's, like, really offensive. And then, a lot of it's not even just, like, a direct attack. It's more just indirect attacks microaggressions I say yeah yeah which look like what because I'm I'm thinking like okay maybe this is an opportunity for me to understand hey this is a first-hand account of somebody saying what she perceives as being harmful microaggressions and so do I do any of these things this is an opportunity to kind of check myself hey am I am I doing as much help as I think I'm doing or am I can I approve? Okay. So I'm like, yeah. So tell me about what those look like. Like define them. Well, she says, looking at me with a turned up lip, that's one. Um, just kind of like facial features that people, kind of the faces that they make when you're speaking to them. Um, you know, another thing is just ignoring me like altogether, just like totally acting like I don't exist. Or, I don't know, just different stuff like that. Yeah, sure, yeah, I said. Boomers, uh-huh, she says. I said, boomers fucking suck so bad, dude. Basically, she says. I said, dude, I swear to God, like, yeah. I'm Because, like, listen, my boomers out there, listen, not all boomers. Hashtag not all boomers. Some of y'all, I fucking love you guys to death, okay? But... There are a lot, by and large, of, and it's just the older generations. It's just the older generations not wanting to um, change, right? And them saying things like, well, you know, I don't care what your pronouns are. Or they'll be like, well, this is America, and I'm going to call you what I want. Like, they think that them calling you sir when they know you go by ma'am is like their form of protest, as if they're doing their part to help the resistance. And she's like, it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, you know, I poke a lot of fun at boomers and uh, it is what it is. But, but honestly, I mean, guys, you, you kind of deserve it. I mean, you really do, you know? So I said, well, what made you realize and at what point did you realize that you wanted to make the transition? I mean, did you always feel uncomfortable as a biological male growing up? Or did sexual orientation play a part into you wanting to make that transition? This is like, 
this is like one of my biggest regrets in life, she says, because I was around eight years old when it all really started to feel different for me, and I started to feel a change. So from eight to about puberty, because before then, I didn't really have a concept of, I mean, I did, but I didn't. I just thought that boys just chose to do this, and girls just chose to do that. And I just thought people were people. And when I started to prefer female things, a lot of people just thought that I was a tom girl. But then I realized when puberty hit, that's when the dysphoria really hit because I thought that I was going to go through the same puberty as a girl. I don't know why I thought that, but I just did. And so when that didn't happen, it just got progressively worse, but I never understood what was going on. So I just held it in me for years until I was like 21 and I basically held it into the point where I was thinking about taking my own life and then I get to that point and I was like, oh damn, I got to do something about this. But I didn't really understand what was going on in my body or my mind or anything. And I said, it's almost like you're looking at the person or the thing or whatever that created us, right? Whatever that might be, the universe, God, whatever the fuck you believe. And you're going, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. Because like you're thinking this is going to be a natural thing for me to progress as a woman. And that's just how I feel. And then when it's not happening, you're like, whoa, wait a second. What's going on? Like, this isn't right. And only you can know that, right? Like only you can know what's right for you. Yeah, she says, And I can explain it to people all day long, but it's one of the main things that I try to get into my head, especially at this age, is accepting the fact that not everybody is going to accept and understand me. So the best thing that I can do is just try and love myself and know what I am and just move accordingly and just respect myself because arguing and fighting with people is just not good to humor. And I said... They're just miserable with their own lives, so they feel the need to dictate how other people are supposed to live theirs. But it's your life. It's your happiness. And even if you got to steal it back, you're entitled to that. Stay up. So this writer gets in, and we'll call her Diana. And I ask her, did you have a good day? Eh, sort of, kind of. I haven't really been having too good of days. I just buried my husband. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have my days. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. How long ago was that? He got killed on February 17th, and I buried him on the 22nd. Do you know who killed him? Yeah, his baby mother. Is she jammed up? Nope. She just got out on the 7th of this month. Yes, sir. Damn. How does that happen? I don't know, but everybody's trying to keep me in the quiet because they know I'm a killer. (laughs) I I laughed a little bit, and I was expecting her to laugh when I laughed, but she was not laughing. She was serious. She says, we was together for 18 years, so they hadn't been together in at least 18 years, you know, and... He went in there to give her some money, and she shot and killed him. Wow. That's fucked up. I'm sorry. Why was she tripping? She's a pillhead. Addiction. 
I mean, we all got addictions, but you know what I'm saying? I ain't better than nobody, but I'm not going to put nobody's life in harm's way either. I said, yeah, I think there's a difference to me in, like, you know, when you're an addict, you're abusing yourself. And you may be abusing those around you because of how bad the addiction spirals. And if you don't keep commitments to people that you love and who depend on you, then that can start to hurt people as well. But most of the time, addiction and depression for that matter too, you're the one that's suffering. But when you start to have to fuel that addiction, you're having to rob people, you're fucking people over that have helped you every step of the way. And she says, that's the same thing that, I mean, I can understand if he was a piece of shit. And even though he did move on with his life, he still made his kids a first priority. And every time she called, it didn't matter if she said those kids want a unicorn, he was going to go and try to get a unicorn, you know? So like the stories that's coming back to me, it's just, I don't know. I think they're just trying to keep me calm because it's, it's still too soon, but I'm not stupid. And I, 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 I kind of know. I mean, because look, break it down. What's it going to get you, you know? And I knew exactly what she was talking about. And she knew that I knew exactly what she was talking about. And she said, it's not going to get me. That's that's what I said. Like, it's not going to hurt me no worse than what I'm already hurting. Right, I said. You know what I'm saying? So like, why would you wait until I start to heal from it? And then it's like going and ripping a Band-Aid off. Like... If you can't tell me, then I'd rather just not know. And I mean, I might sound weird, but I really, truly, it didn't feel like that was my husband in the casket. Like, it just didn't. It didn't. I mean, it looked like him a little bit, but I've been with this man for 18 years. Like, I know. Like, I just, I feel like some fuck shit's going on. It almost sounds like a, and I'm searching for the word, and she says, a lifetime movie? Yeah. And I said, yeah, or I was going to say an out-of-body experience. It's really what I feel like I'm going through right now. Like, I feel like I'm here, but I feel like it's just a really long dream, and it's all I talk about. Anybody strike up a conversation, it's all I can talk about. That's the only person I knew. And then, like, I met this new guy, and he is such a fucking dick. Ugh. Anywho, I don't know. So I'm just like, I don't know. Well, you're grieving. You got to let yourself, you got to just be patient with yourself and give yourself the time to heal and grieve because it's one thing to say, all right, I'm good from this, but it takes a lot longer, I think, for the body and the soul to get on the same page as the heart and the mind in a situation like this because One day you might wake up, you feel great. And then later that day, you're reminded of something that you share with that person, like a moment or a memory or something. And then it just, it all comes rushing back in, right? And she said, and this is like the second week since I've been out of my house. You know, I just, we have a child together. And he came to the house for the weekend and I couldn't do it. I couldn't like, I don't know. I don't know. I just know I'm really depressed and I'm trying to mask it with like laughter and I have my moments. Like my niece, she just left my house and you know, she's grown. And like I told her, I said, I'm sorry. 
She was like, go ahead. And I just went and had to go in my room and just cry. And shit is just not adding up. I said, well, I hope you get through these tough days for real. And she said, I've been having tough days since I was 15. It's just like I just buried my daughter and my son don't really mess with me. And then I just buried my husband. So it's really like I'm just here existing. It's like really what I really feel like. Do you work? I go to school online. I go to college online. And I've been doing the homework. But as far as participating in class, like Zooms and all that, nah. But I do stay in touch with my instructors and be like, hey, today is just not a good day for me. But I go either Wednesday or Thursday, whichever one. They're supposed to be putting me on some medication because I'm about two shades away from just losing my mind. What are you studying? I said. Well, I was going to school for social and behavioral science, but then I changed it to psychology. What do you want to do with those? What would be like your dream job? I want to study murderers. Really? That right there and then, it's been something that I've been wanting to do since high school. And then when she did that, it just sent my shit into overdrive. Like, I'll stay up all night if I have to get my homework done like I did last night. And my son, he came to me last night. You know, he's nine. And he's like, Mommy, how did Daddy get killed? I don't know what to say. So, did you tell him? I said. No. I just told him I don't know what happened. Man. And at this point, we've stopped. And we're just kind of still talking here before she gets out of the car. And I said... Well, I think, first of all, and I need you to hear me when I say this, I'm proud of you for getting your work done. Thank you, she says. Because it would be very easy to blow it off and say, fuck it, but the fact that you're still staying up and getting your stuff done is amazing. Oh, it's, I'd say the last week and a half, I've been trying to catch up on everything because from the day I got that phone call until I'd say about a week and a half ago, I wouldn't do nothing but just lay in bed and just stare out the window because I had just got off the phone with him and he was on his way, you know, so I would just sit at that window because the last conversation we had, you said you was on your way. I was like, and you're waiting on him. Oh my God. Like I said, I feel for you. I I feel for you. I do. I think, man, that's heavy. I think you're at a turning point right now. Even though you feel like you're kind of spinning a little bit, I think you're at a crossroads. And you can either go a couple of different ways, but what you do now and how you brush yourself off and keep moving forward is going to determine a lot. This is a really, really big moment. And I don't know if you realize how big it is or not because if you start to slide and spiral... I don't think anybody could blame you because you're obviously dealing with a lot right now and I'm definitely not minimizing that. What I'm saying is you're at a point right now where you have a decision to make. Are you going to let this derail everything that you've been working for to get to this point or are you going to remember why you were doing it in the first place? Are you going to stop holding it down and say fuck it all and blow off your responsibilities to your kids or are you going to keep pushing forward for yourself but also like in memory of him? And in honor of him, right? And it's worth being here. I promise it is. I promise it is. I promise it is. 
I'm sending you all the positive vibes I got, man. Stay up. And she was like, thank you. Thank you. And she got out of the car. And that was the very last trip that I took before starting work on this episode. Ooh, all right, we made it. That was a very challenging episode. I'm not gonna lie. This has been one of the most emotional processes that I've had to process doing this show probably ever, probably ever to this point. I mean, and it's not like I had like happier stories or funny stories or like these, this is just the week that I had with people, which is awesome. It's, it's cool, right? But it, it makes for some really tough listens and some really tough stories to write up. I mean, it's because a lot of my writers on this episode were really struggling, really struggling. And you hope that it's going to get better. You never truly know, but um, it is possible. It is possible to to at least get a little better, make improvements. I, I'm not saying your life is going to change, but um, it's possible that you will find happiness again. Let's put it that way. It's possible that you can find happiness again, and it's possible that you can find purpose again, meaning again. So you just got to keep going because the alternative is just to kick the bucket, and that's no fun. We don't want to do that, okay? That's not what we're here to do. So yeah, this was a this was a tough one. Um, I'm glad that we did it. Um, Next week is going to be a banger, Uber Stories, Kentucky Derby edition. So this is going to be amazing. This week is going to be crazy. I'm working like crazy already this week. And uh, we're not even, we're, we're, we're basically halfway done at this point. So yeah, big strong finish to end this one. But um, please drop a rating and a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you have not done that yet, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, share it to somebody and uh, maybe they might really benefit from hearing somebody else talking about some of the same things that you're doing. If you don't know how to broach a subject with your trans son or daughter or family member or you don't know how to tell somebody, hey, everything's going to be okay after they've just had to bury their husband and you don't know if it's going to be okay and you hope that it is, but like, you know, I don't know, send that, send this to them and maybe it'll give them peace and solace and calmness as well. So um, that's all I got. We're keeping this outro pretty brief. I will be back next week. Everybody have a very safe Kentucky Derby. For those of you that live outside of the state, you're just going to have to watch from afar, my friends. And if you ever want to come, hey, you know I've got you. All right. So hit me up, slide in those DMs, and maybe one day we'll get you to the Kentucky Derby. All right. Okay. Take care, everybody. I am back next week. I am Ben Tompkins. That's real talk.